Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 93 finds Oscar catching up with former cat Twani Beckham. Originally from Louisville, Twani's road to becoming a national champion took many twists and turns, but ultimately, his determination and drive led him to being the person he is today. Twani speaks with Oscar about growing up in Louisville and the first sport he fell in love with. After a middle school sports injury, Twani shifted his focus to basketball and playing for Ballard High School. Twani's basketball career took him from Ballard to IUPUI to prep school in New Hampshire to Mississippi State and then eventually Kentucky, and he capped it off with a national championship in New Orleans. Twani will share with you and Oscar the injuries he suffered throughout his career, his time at Mississippi State, his thoughts on Coach Rick Stansberry, and the infamous DeMarcus Cousins' Call Me incident. Twani relives the memories of the 2011-2012 season, including the Final Four and the National Championship, and how special it was to him and another player from Kentucky on that team. Twani shares his thoughts on the success of his former teammates in the NBA and how his faith helped guide him through the hard times. And finally, Oscar and Twani will wrap up discussing his teammates during his time at Kentucky. It wasn't an easy road for Twani Beckham. Despite suffering an injury prior to his senior season, he could have given up, but through all the adversity, it was his faith, teammates, and the fans that kept his motor running. And that road wasn't easy, but it led him to the Big Easy for a national championship that the Big Blue Nation, nor Twani, will never forget. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Twani, it's been six years since you earned your ring at Kentucky as a national champion. Yes, sir. Uh, you, you've talked a lot about this on some blogging you've done, a couple of books you've written. Uh, what has life been like since then? Life has been crazy since um, we won the national championship in 2012. Um, you know, the, the year after, you know, I had back surgery and uh, my career was, you know, cut short. And, and I didn't have a, a chance or an opportunity to – you know, continue to play basketball. And so at that point in my life, you know, I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, but I knew I didn't want to go back to where I, where I came from. And so, um, you know, it was tough trying to figure out, you know, what was next for me in my life. And that was probably the hardest two or three years I've ever been through, um, just trying to figure it out. And, you know, since I was able to figure it out, you know, life has been amazing. Um, you know, my purpose has been simply uh, giving back, you know, telling my story. And since I've overcome the adversity that I've been through, that I went through, um, I've been able to go back and, and kind of teach people and, and share my story and let people know that, you know, you can make it to a certain point in life, but adversity is going to come, and it's about how you overcome it. You, you you look back and to the time that you first started out, uh, you said where you came from. Tell me a little bit about where you came from. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I grew up in uh, Beaches Tires, which is one of the – um, worst projects in Louisville. They are tearing them down as as we speak. 
Um, there will be no more Beach of Terrace projects. And it's kind of a unique situation. You know, I um, I had a lot of friends that, you know, we, we could have went left or we could have went right. And I had some friends that went left and didn't go right. And um, I was one of the fortunate ones. You know, my best friend was, was murdered when I was away at college at Mississippi State. Um, I've had several other friends that were murdered. Um, I've had several friends that has, you know, been on the other side of that and went to prison. And when I look back on it, you know, I could have been, you know, one of those kids um, had I stayed, you know, doing some of the things that, you know, people in, from there do. And so born in that situation, um, being raised in that situation, I always knew I wanted to be different. I wanted to get out of the situation because I wanted to help my mom and my family someday, you know, get out of there. And that's what, like, really pushed me and inspired me. But growing up there, it's kind of hard to get away from there because you want to, I talk about this all the time, you want to stay friends, you want to stay relevant, you want to stay, um, you know, in good relationships with the people from there. But it takes a, a special person to, to, to look yourself in the mirror and say, I want to be different, I want to get out of here. And so, you know, that's where I come from. You know, I come from, you know, impoverished community where a lot of people don't get to go to college. You know, a lot of us don't, you know, make it to um, play Division One basketball, especially at the high major ranks. And I was one of those people that had the opportunity to do that, thanks to God. You grow up in Louisville. Uh, you, you've said in, in your first book that you grew up hoping to have the opportunity to play for a program like Kentucky. Yes, sir. Uh, when did you first become an athlete? Um as far as I can remember, you know, my mom said uh, when I was like four years old, she's um, knew that I would be special in basketball. I had big hands, and um, I was one of those kids that always had a basketball in my hands in the neighborhood. And I used to um, – my mom always tells me a story um, where, you know, my dad was on the um, basketball court, and I used to sit in a stroller when I was one or two and just watch you know, all the men play at the basketball court. Uh, and from that time on, I was always been one of those kids that was just super talented you know, better than everybody in my age group. Um, they used to have to um, go make my mom go get my birth certificate when I was a young <laughs> when I was a young kid to make sure that I was the right age that everybody thought you I was. You weren't cheating. Yeah, that I wasn't <laughs> cheating because I was tall. I was tall and I was just really talented um, in football and in basketball. And so, you know, like I said, from, from that standpoint, I think that's really helped me because I had a lot of coaches and a lot of mentors kind of grab me because they knew that I had to maybe had an opportunity later in life to be something special. Do you play any other sports? I play football. Football is actually my favorite sport. Oh, is that right? Yes, sir. Did you want to play football in college at any point? Um, I, when I got to high school, I kind of chose the basketball. Um, I was just as good as in both. Um, and I tried my freshman year ballot. I went out there and I practiced a couple times. But as my love had, had gone too deep for basketball, so I, didn't, I really didn't give it a shot. But um, I was a really talented quarterback. You, you went to Ballard High. Yes, sir. Uh, very well-known school in Louisville. Produced yes, a lot of great players over the years. Yes, sir. Uh, but you didn't finish there. At least you you went there, and then you went to a prep school. Went to a prep school. Uh, lead me through that. Well, I um, committed to play at um, IUPUI my senior year at Ballard. And, um, you know, it was one. It was a situation where me and a close friend of mine named Leroy Nobles um, was, was going there on a package deal. And I had always knew that um, I wanted to play high major, so when I when I signed there, you know, it was kind of more so I was wanting to do a favor for my friend um, because it was like if they recruited me, then he could come as well. And uh, my senior year, I was having a really good season, and I just started realizing, hey, I, I want to strive to, to play higher. And also, um, I didn't pass ACT test, so I couldn't have gone anyway. 
And so I went to prep school, New Hampton Prep in New Hampton, New Hampshire. Incredible experience. Um, I got to play with, you know, so many great players. I played against so many great players. It was just another brand of basketball that, you know, just playing in Kentucky, I had never seen or wasn't used to. And it was able to get me um, in front of a lot of other coaches that hadn't seen me in Louisville. Yeah, when when you were uh, getting near your junior, senior year in high school, and you obviously had hoped to play at a higher level. Yes, sir. Uh, was that your first uh, chapter of adversity, uh, realizing that you might not be able to go as high as you wanted to? Yeah, my uh, well, my first chapter of adversity, um, you know, kind of started back in seventh grade. I, uh, you know, I tore my shoulder, and um, I wasn't able to play on the middle school basketball team that year, I tore it playing football. I got sacked in the game. It was a rainy game, and uh, the ball, the center snapped it over my head, and I went to pick the ball up, and uh, I got up, and all I can remember was waking up in the hospital um, with, a, with a torn shoulder. And so from that point on, I realized, man, that this game could be taken away from you. I tore my shoulder. And then, um, you know, as I my career went on and I got to high school, you know, I like you said, I strived to, to play at the, to the Kentuckys, the, the Louisville's, all the big-time schools. But I wasn't getting the recruiting, you know, that I thought mm. I should be getting. I was a six-four point guard. I was on the AAU circuit, but I just wasn't getting the attention that I, you know, that I thought I could get. But as a junior in high school, I didn't really put too much emphasis on it. Um, I, I did like it didn't stretch me out. I didn't think about it too much. Um, I just wanted to keep playing. I knew eventually that, you know, my calling would come. I've been able to have the opportunity. After New Hampton, you end up at Mississippi State. Now, tell me how you ended up there. Um, I was in prep school and. Um, one day we, we, we had pickup, and during pickup, um, what was kind of different, I never had been a part of that, is big-time coaches would, would, would come to our pickup games, you know. And uh, it was just unlike anything I had experienced at Louisville, um, in Louisville playing at Ballard. But we would have – you look in the stands at our pickup game, and it's, you know, every big-time coach in the country sitting in our gym. And so Coach Stans, Rick Stanbury was one of those coaches one day, and uh, he had never saw me play in a game before. He had kind of, I think, heard about me. And so he made a visit up there, and uh, he saw me play pickup. I had a really, really, really good day in the gym that day, and uh, we talked, and uh, you know, talks kept going on and on, and he ended up offering me a scholarship. Did the uh, connection of him being a Kentuckian help any? Uh? Yes, that helped because at the time uh, he had a player named Riley Benock, Riley Benock, uh, and then uh, Riley Benock from Kentucky, and so you know, me and Riley started talking, and uh, you know, I think that helped play the major role. Uh, you you go to Mississippi State. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, Mississippi State started off, um, you know, kind of rocky for me. Um, and I, I think I have to speak about this in my first book. You know, um, one of the key contributors of me going there was, you know, wearing the number three jersey. And, um, you know, when I get there, somebody else had number three. They were had recruited two point guards. And, um, you know, I didn't know. And uh, D. Boss um, was the other point guard that they had recruited who was highly recruited. And for some reason, um, you know, I just didn't know that he was going to be there. And so uh, my freshman year, me and D had a had a battle, had a had a really tough battle, and um, I fractured my foot in preseason. And so I, I was out the first ten games of my freshman year at Mississippi State. You know, so I came back. I was able to work myself into the rotation. Um, we won an SEC championship as a freshman. I mean, we was a freshman. We were down in uh, Tampa, Florida, and uh, that was that was amazing. Um, you know, to to experience that. I think we had we was one of those teams that had to play on the first day. And so we had to play four days in a row, four days in a row. And it was a grind, but we, we was able to win it. Do you remember Billy Clive Gillespie? Yes, I remember. 
<laughs> I remember. Tell me your yeah. favorite memory of him. <laughs> it was kind of um, funny because, you know, I'm, I'm a Kentucky fan. I've always been. So I'm playing at another SEC school, but I always paid attention to what Kentucky was doing. And, um, you know, even though um, I knew we would have to play against them, I was still a fan. And so I was reading and watching and seeing everything that everybody was saying, and I was just crazy, you know, being afar from it. But we came into Rupp my freshman year. We got a win. And then um, it was, it was, you know, it was just special to come home and get that win. I had a lot of family in the building. So uh, 2009, 2010, you start having a problem again. Yes, sir. I, um, you know, we were training in the summer, and um, I just, my body just started, I just started feeling discomfort in my hips. And uh, I couldn't um, slide defensively, you know, like a player um, supposed to, and it was starting to hurt. And so I told um, coach, I, coach, I need to get this checked out. And so um, I remember, you know, going to the doctor, getting the MRIs, and it come back that I had bone spurs on my hips. And uh, at that time, you know, the doctor told me that I needed to have surgery on both of my hips, or you know, I potentially might be able to walk if I don't. And uh, you know, you look at the person in the eyes, you know, and them telling you like. You know, you're going to be out another year. And I've already missed, you know, half of my my freshman season. You know, I've torn my shoulder. I broke a fracture of my foot. And then now you're telling me I, I I got to have double hip surgery and, you know, miss my entire sophomore season. You know, that was devastating. And, you know, I, I think it was a really tough time because, uh, you know, the, in the battle with D-Boss, that point guard, you know, it was like I was kind of just giving him the, the reins. You know, we had battled and – split minutes uh, freshman season and then here's a sophomore season and I'm at the lineup and um, it was tough um, you know especially being far away from home I had nobody to to really help me get through it I had to really get through it on my own the 2009-10 season were you there for both of state's games with Kentucky the one in Starkville yes and then the one in Nashville <laughs> yes tell me tell me from the other side of the road oh man it was it was it was crazy because um you know, Coach Kyle, you know, is at Kentucky. They had all the hype. Um, you know, we seen John Wall on TV every game. Well, you got you got me even the reaction to the the cousins' phone deal. <laughs> Man, that was crazy too. You know, um, I remember Ben sitting in the cafeteria um, that day, the day of the game, and uh, his number was posted on like a board inside the cafe. And I'm looking around like this is crazy. And then once I like you know get on social media and see everybody talking about it and seeing and Demarcus you know, telling people to call his phone and he's going to leave and he's going to answer it. It was just crazy. And it was so much hyperonic because we actually had a really good team. Yes. And so I knew that we could we could beat them um, coming into Starkville. Starkville was a hard place to play once it, when it was packed. Um, you know, and I thought we had them beat. Um, you know, we was up seven with three minutes to go. And um, DeAndre Liggins hit a big three in the corner to change the whole game. I think if he misses that shot, we win the game because they were, um, you know, they were making a run. We was, you know, answering the run. And uh, it was like a little bit under three minutes. And DeAndre Liggins, I remember like it was yesterday, he was left open on the wing. He hit a big three, cut it to four. And then I knew then when he – and you could just see Kentucky coming. And, uh, you know, we kind of – we lost the game. And then, you know – the And as bad as that one was, the tougher one was in the, the – tougher, The tougher one was, yeah, the tougher one was in the championship because, I mean, we talked about it and stressed in the timeout, coming out of the timeout to, to box out. We knew they, they had – the Eric Blesso had to miss one of the free throws. And so, you know, coach stressed box out. And, when, you know, when, when they got the rebound, and I think the ball got passed out to John Wall, and he, and he shoots the three from the wing. 
and Demarcus gets it and puts the ball in the ground. I mean, it, it just looked fake. I mean, it just it happened so fast, but it just seen, you see them running. If down the that court. happens a hundred times again, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. No, no. Oh, if we rebound the basketball, um, we win the game, and then we back to back SEC champions and beat you know John Wall and Kentucky. You think that might have been two of the best seasons in the history of Mississippi State? Um, I I believe I believe so. Um, but it, it kind of sucks. Um, like I said, we didn't. I don't think we made the tournament the next year. And so, you know, that was kind of tough. You know, we win a game like that, we might get in. Uh, tell me your thoughts on Rick Stansbury as a coach. Um, I, I I love them as a coach. I love them as a person. Um, you know, I was just unfortunate that, you know, I, the situation didn't play out perfect for me. But um, he was a player's coach. I think everybody liked him. Um, you know, the way he, um, you know, stayed on us about our, our classwork. Um, he, was a, he was a coach that his door, his door was always open. And so I had nothing bad to say about him. He, Especially because you know he gave me an opportunity. You know, one of those people that you gotta appreciate the opportunity, no matter how it plays out in the end. You know, he gave me an opportunity to play basketball in SEC, which was always my dream. With all these things that's happened to you physically, uh, how do you connect the dots? How, how did you wind up at Kentucky? You call them, they call you a friend. Get in the middle. What happened? So I'm a. <laughs> it's actually crazy, man. I'm at home, and you know I'm getting calls from a lot of mid-major schools. And I just don't know what I want to do, where I want to go. Um, I took a couple of visits. I was talking to coaches all the time. It was the 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 process was getting kind of stressful. And um, Kentucky never, I never even conditioned my mind to even believe that that was an opportunity. You know, I'm a transfer coach. Kyle's at Kentucky. I'm not, I don't have an opp- no no way of going there. And um, it was maybe like a week before second semester of classes and universities were about to begin, and I didn't know where I was going. I was sitting at home. I was training every day, but I was just sitting at home. And uh, I was getting real close to committing to Iowa, um, real close to committing to Iowa. Um, West Kentucky was an op- was somewhere that I was looking at going. And then one day I get a call from a friend, and he says, hey, man, what, what you think about Kentucky? And I thought he was joking. And uh, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what do you think about uh, Kentucky? You know, would you go play there? And I'm like, would I go play there? Are you serious? And uh, he's like, "Hey, man, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, you, I'm gonna set the meeting up, and all yeah, you gotta do is get the election and meet, and see what the opportunity presents." And um, it, I, I'm still thinking it's fake. And then I get I get in contact with Coach Kenny Payne, and he's like, uh, "Sends me a um, a date to come and meet." I was thinking like it was like the, the next day that I talked to him. And uh, I remember like it was yesterday. It was a snowstorm, and I woke up, and I mean, it was they was the the the, the news was telling people do not get on the roads stay off the roads and um, I had a car at the time that wasn't in the best condition <laughs> and uh, I made the drive to Lexington I walked in and I, Coach Cal was sitting across from the desk and it was like surreal and uh, he looked me in the face and said um, you know you can come here you can walk on and don't but don't expect to to play don't expect for anything to be given to you um, you got to earn anything in this program you know what type of players we have and from him telling me that, you know, he always says it in the media that, you know, you come to Kentucky, nothing's given, everything is earned. And him telling me that, I mean, I'm like, Coach, I'm on board. <laughs> I'm on board. I mean, for you to tell me, like, I'm a Division One athlete myself, so I knew if I could get the opportunity to get on the floor, I'm just like the rest of those guys. And if, so if I can do my part, then eventually I can play. And then I get to practice within a week. Coach Cal, you know, saw what I could actually do. I guarded Brandon Knight to the best of my abilities. I mean, I had some good – I mean, probably some of the best practices I ever had that week was against Brandon Knight. 
And, uh, you know, coach called me in and said, hey, man, we got a scholarship for you. Probably best day of my life. <laughs> How big a role did faith play in that path from Hampton to Starkville to Lexington that you didn't give up? Yeah, it, it's a great question because when you're in the middle of the process or when you're going through the process, you really don't it's – like, it's like hard to, to, to see – five or ten years down the road or to or to condition your mind to rely on your faith because you just don't know and you you stressed out and you don't understand the plan that God has for you. And so when you're going through the process, it's, it's a struggle. But then from somebody like myself now, this, you know, 30, I didn't experience so much, and I look back and I'm like, man, I, I, I stay loyal to my faith and I trusted him. And, um, you know, because going to prep school was, was scary. You know, I didn't want to go that far away from home. And I uh, went to prep school. I, I get to Mississippi State. I transfer, and I end up at my dream school. And, you know, that's all faith. That's all God. Um, and Did you ever at one, any one point, it's not worth it? At not worth it? In other words, I'm just going to quit. I'm giving up. No, I, I never I never had that uh, cross my mind one time because, um, like, I, like I mentioned, you know, I've always – promised my mom that I'm going to do something to help my family. I don't know what it is. Hopefully it's basketball, but I want to do something to help you all. And and that's what my life is about. I like seeing my mom and my brother smile. And so I knew that, um, you know, if I could just finish and get my degree, it, after my, him, my hip surgery, you know, I knew then that NBA was a long shot. And, um, you know, I've always been really interested in, you know, doing other things, writing books, businesses, um, so many other things. So all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was just keep my nose clean, you know, and make sure I graduate and there was no telling what my future holds. The time that you get to Kentucky and, and I guess now you're you're sort of fresh in your uh thought department that, hey, I'm gonna get an opportunity to play again. Yes, sir. Take me a little bit through your years here at Kentucky now. Okay, so um, you know, I, I really got a lot of confidence when, when I mat got matched up against Brandon that in practice. And I used to um, work out with him, and like Brandon and I was is probably the well, no, is the hardest workout I've ever been around in my entire career. He, it was between him and Michael K. Gilchrist, and um, you know I was working out with Brandon one night, and you know we I, I was pushing him, and he and Kenny Payne texted me that night and said, "Man, you got an opportunity to be special. You have an opportunity to be special. Keep working." And that gave me a lot of confidence because I had just got to Kentucky. I was new. I was trying to fit in. And to have one of the best players on the team who barely knew me text me and say, hey, man, you got an opportunity to be special. I knew that, hey, man, one day I think Coach Cal would, would, would give me an opportunity. And so I continued to work. I continued to work. Uh, it was kind of hard when you when you have to sit out. You can't play. Um, but I was trying to see, you know, big picture down the road, you know, next year um, with, the, with the new coming, with new incoming freshmen coming in. You know, I might could be, a, a you know, one of those junior leaders that, that, that could get some time on the court. And so every day I brought it in practice. Coach Cal loved me for my defense. Um, you know, he loved what I can do because he didn't really know what I could do when I when I came and sat next to him that day and right across from him. He didn't really know what I could do. And so in practice, I tried to show him every single day what I could do. And, you know, he always told me, hey, man, keep working, keep working. Your opportunity is going to come. You don't get to play here until the championship season, 11-12. Mm -hmm. 11-12, yes. What was it like for the first practice? Did, did, you, did the team feel like that 
it was going to be as great a year as it ended up being? From day one, uh, the night those guys got to campus, you know, I, I'm only right up the road in Louisville, so I, you know, I got to campus early um, when we was all, um, you know, we were supposed to report back to um, to school. You know, when those guys got in, all those freshmen and our whole team got together. I mean, that day you just, you just sensed it. I mean, we clicked, and I know a lot of people talk about their claims, their teams clicking, but that team clicked from day. One, I mean, the first time that we all got in the gym and played pickup, you know, I just said, man, this team is going to be special. And, um, you know, you had Anthony, you couldn't get any baskets around the rim. You had Michael that was just vicious, Terrence, um, Marcus, Deron, Kyle. You just knew that, you know, Coach Kyle has, has assembled with probably the best team in the country. You knew We knew it in the summer. And so I think our biggest issue was making sure that we all stayed together and don't let nobody on the outside break us up. And we did that. Have you seen a number six man any more important team than Darius, Darius Miller? No, I have not. <laughs> Darius is like was like the perfect match for that team because he could have, like I said, Darius could have started at any, probably any team in the country his senior year, and uh, he accepted. You know, it's all about accepting. You know, your role, and uh, he accepted it, and um, you know, he flourished in it. Would 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 very many people in uh, 2010, 11, the year before, would have dreamed that Darius Miller? Eight years later, would be playing in NBA and playing in the role that he's the playing. He's, the role that he's playing? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, Darius, you know, was a guy that we everybody knew could shoot the basketball, but you know, watching him in the NBA now, do starting to add more things to his game, put the ball on the floor, defend, make shots at a high clip. Um, nobody, I, I wouldn't say nobody expected that. Nobody. Let's jump around a little bit during that season. Let's go right to. Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> uh, you, you, you being in Louisville, know the history of Indiana and how how good a program they had during the Bob Knight days. And uh, uh, I've I've attended every Kentucky game in Bloomington since '70, okay. which there were a number of them back then. But Cal was sort of new still here then. This was his third year. Third year yes, sir. Uh, going into Bloomington that now they, they had a good club that year. And that was the first time I think they really felt like they could smell Kentucky, mm-hmm. so to speak. So from the time you got off the bus, tell me about that game. So I actually didn't travel um, to the game. I was still um, redshirting because I transferred. And so I watched the game. It was kind of crazy because, um, you know, I practiced and prepared. And then watching the team leave was, was kind of, you know, kind of sucked because I wanted to go. I wanted to play. I wanted to be there with my team. And so I watched the game back in the dorm. And, uh, you know, when the guy, when Christian hit that shot, you know, I just, I felt for my teammates, you know, Darius on the ground getting trampled over. You know, I think Terrence Jones had his worst game of probably his career. And, uh, I, you know, I felt for my teammates. And um, the the day after was the hardest practice, was the hardest practice I ever had in my life. You know, Coach Cal, I mean, even though we lost on the last second shot, Coach Cal killed us in practice. Do you think perhaps, you know, he made a big deal in the 2015 season, about going 40 and 0, you, you look back. Was that in anyone's mind back in 11, 12 that maybe this team could go 40 and 0? Because looking back in hindsight, if you win that game, and if that game's played 20 more times, it comes out the other way. Comes out the other way, yes. Then your only loss would have been to Miss Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament, and we shouldn't have lost that game. We were up six for two minutes. Yeah, but um, nobody mentioned it one time. 40 and 0 um, that year. It was never mentioned. Um, you know, we. Did anybody think they were going to be beaten that year? 
No, it, I mean it, it never came up. You know, we yeah. we like that team was special. Like I said, we prepared every week to win the game. Um, you know, we knew that we had a great team, but it was never and there was never conversation in the locker room about us going undefeated. And it's still to this day sometimes. You know, when I'm sitting around you know tables talking to my friends, and I realized that we didn't lose a game in SEC. You know, we didn't we we completely crushed ran that, the table ran the table in SEC, and that's and that's stuff that people don't really bring up. Mm-hmm. You know, that was amazing running the table in the SEC. So you actually started uh, traveling when the first semester ended? Yes. I started, yes. When the first semester ended, I got eligible um, spring semester. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I was able to start traveling and playing. Um, what was it like traveling on the road with that team in the SEC? That's amazing. Uh, you know, and, and, and compare it a little bit to your days at Mississippi State. It was, it was comp- night and day. Um, it's everything that people talk about and it's everything you dream about, uh, you know, being a part of a – a kind of a, a a rock band or a rock group, you know. Every every time you got the plane, you got fans there. You were walking into the the opposing um, team's building, you have you see nothing but blue, and you know you even going to the hotel, you know you walking past nothing but but UK fans, and so to see that support everywhere you go is amazing. It's just you know fans that used to Mississippi State traveled a lot too, but you just the the, the support and the the way that UK fans traveled just was like night and day. And, uh, you know, running out of the tunnel every road game and to the tears and, you know, go Big Blue is is it's like you can't put that in. You can't describe that. And, you know, I think the best thing about winning on the road is, you know, those last two to three minutes when the, when the U.K. fans, I don't really like to call them fans. I like to call them supporters. When the U.K. supporters get up and they start the go Big Blue chant, that's the best feeling in the world. Let's go through the tournament. The NCAA. Uh, was there any point during that where, that you were concerned? No, not at all. Um, I think we we kind of started out rusty against Iowa State. Um, they had the, the guy Royce White who was yes. tough, and we were we were nervous. It was the guy that didn't want to fly. They want to fly, right? Yes, I mean they had some personnel that 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 year that that we knew that hey we have to play or you know this team could be one of those teams that sneaks us mm-hmm. and so we started out a little rusty i think they started uh, our state started up on us ahead and um but after we we got back there was never no i mean we never panicked we never stressed it it, it was like it's like a fairy tale man um i think the indiana game was a game that we wanted they had beat us early in the year we wanted that game so we knew you know that we we were gunning for them i think they they knew it too i think that was indiana then baylor indiana then baylor yes uh, going into the Final Four in New Orleans, I, you know, uh, the, the Kentucky-Louisville series, and you being from Louisville, understand this better than anybody, but that, that's that's the first and, quite frankly, the only time that I can remember where I don't think there was a single Kentucky fan ever even gave a hesitant moment that they might lose. Yes. I mean, that was just, you know – the end of the world might come tomorrow, but Louisville's not winning today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they um they actually scared us. Uh, you know they made they made that run late in the right. second half, and and to answer your your previous question, I think it was the only time in the tournament that I got kind of nervous because they made that run, they had all the momentum, and then you know, but just thankfully, you know, we had guys like Gilchrist on our team that that wasn't gonna let us lose, that refused to lose. But Louisville that year gave us a run for our money in the Final Four, which kind of shocked me as well. At the point you win the title that night, this is Cal's third year here. First year, Cousin Wallace goes to the lead eight. Yes, sir. Couple threes, and they're probably in the final four, maybe to win the title. Yes, sir. And then in 2010, they get to the final four. 
and lose 2012, they win it all. League eight, final four champions. Yes, sir. Did you think six years later there wouldn't be another title? No, I didn't. Um, and that's that's crazy to, to even think about with all the teams that came through. Um, like we just probably you and myself and the rest of Big Blue Nation probably thought that the team that, that platooned was going to win a championship. Um, you know, the team. Was, so you can be great and still not win a title. And not win a title. Winning a title is very hard. Um, it's very hard. And I think a lot of people, you know, just look at the talent that Kentucky has and expects them to win a championship. But a lot of luck has to be on your side as well. And um, it's it's very it's very hard. It's very challenging. But um, you know, we had a person on our team that was a, a once in a gener- generation type player, and Anthony, and uh, you know <laughs> that helped too. Tell me a little bit about Anthony. Anthony, I, I love Anthony. Um, you know, not just because he always seems so under control, business as usual. Mm-hmm. Never did show a great deal of emotion. That, that's his personality. Um, he was really quiet. You know, he and I spent a lot of time together uh, when we were at UK uh, because we kind of were into the same things. He um, didn't like going out that much. I didn't either, and so. You know, after some, you know, most game nights or sometimes after, you know, class and practice, we would just sit in the dorm and, you know, just talk about life. And, you know, me being, you know, kind of the older player that I was, you know, I didn't. You were an old gray beard probably. Yeah, I was out, yeah. <laughs> and I like to, um, you know, I like to talk and I like to, to get inside players' minds. I like to kind of just understand players because Anthony and a lot of those guys were something I never was. Um, I was never a McDonald's All-American. I was never top ten in the country. You know, I was never projected to be an NBA. So, you know, I was intrigued by, you know, them as people. I wanted to know, Anthony, what was it like to have Coach Cal come to your, your house in Chicago? What was that like? And I used, those were t- t- some type of um, conversation that we used to have. Marcus and Michael, you know, I used to ask Michael all the time, Michael, you know, what's it like, you know, knowing Michael Jordan? Like, I didn't get the – I didn't have those experiences. And so <laughs> I wanted to take full advantage of just learning, like, what that's like. Um, and so me and Anthony used to spend a lot of time in the dorm, and I remember a conversation we had, you know, when I first got to know him, and I asked him, you know, when you when you, when you you the number one pick in the year, like, what's the first name you're going to buy? And, uh, you know, he, he told me he always wanted the Maybach. And so when I uh, visited him in New Orleans um, probably about a year ago, and he had a Maybach, and I brought that conversation up, and I'm like, man, this is crazy because, you know, this. You, I remember the conversation we had with, where this is one of the first things you say you want to buy, and now you have one, which is crazy. After you won the title on that Monday night in, in New Orleans, you, you stayed overnight there. Yes, I stayed overnight. And you flew back the next morning. I think you got it back here maybe uh, around noon or a little bit afternoon. What was a bus ride like from Blue Grace Field to Rupp Arena? Um, and yeah, so we stayed overnight in New Orleans, and we had a ball. Uh, <laughs> we had a ball. No, no, no curfew. No curfew. That's one of the um, nights that I. It's like hard to to remember. Like I don't remember the fireworks going off once the um, you know um, Marcus threw the ball in the air and we jumping. I don't remember none of that. But I remember you know being at the hotel and all of our families were were there. We walked into the hotel. You had the entire Big Blue Nation chanting us, screaming one more year. And, uh, you know, we, we they kind of roped it off for us. We were on the balcony, you know, throwing bees to all the, the the crowd that was down below. 
And, um, you know, it was just a celebration of appreciation just for everybody. You know, everybody that was a part of that process, part of everything we went through that entire year, our families, our friends. And just to enjoy that, man, it was like it hadn't – it was just crazy. And then so we fly back. You, you look like you're reliving it. Yeah, I'm reliving, <laughs> I'm reliving it because, you know, those are experiences that you dream of as a kid. And, um, you know, not everybody gets a, to experience that. So, you know, I still to this day, like every – time I go speak anywhere especially when it's to kids I take my championship ring um you know I know a lot of my friends probably you know put those up never touch it no that's one of my my selling points to kids to let them know dreams are real is I let every kid touch my ring look at it look visualize it touch it feel it just to know that here's a kid that had a dream it came true like your dream can come true as well and so I love carrying around my championship ring it's not a ring that I, I let sit and collect dust no I let people touch it and so uh, the next day, you know, we fly back. Um, you know, we pull into to, to the airport in here in Lexington, and it's packed. And, you know, the, the supporters are along the fence. You know, we got the trophy with us. We got, a, you know, our hats on. And it's just it was just a great feeling. It's, it's like one of those things that seems surreal. And then um, I think the my best moment was when was watching Darius um, cry. Darius, I sat next to Darius on the bus, and, you know, I just – he couldn't even look – out the window, he had his head down the whole entire time, and uh, you know he was just weeping in tears. I'm gonna put my my arm around him, like, man, I know it's especially we both from Kentucky, you know. I'm I'm excited, I'm excited, like <laughs> I'm excited. And Darius, I think was kind of it was kind of hit it hit had hit him, you know, him being from here, you know, being a key contributor to to what we were able to do, and I think it really it hit him, you know, on the bus right in. But you know, being able to have your name called getting off that bus, walking down, and people cheering, and Coach Cal coming out, and everybody standing up. It was amazing. Did you ever dream that that arena would be that full in the middle of a work day? No, I never dreamed. And that's that's when I knew, we, like I said, we did something special. And, uh, man, I just – I will always remember that for the rest of my life. I will never take that for granted. You, you go from then with the team, you go forward to draft day. Mm-hmm. Probably not been a bigger draft day in Kentucky history, and Cal's often talked about how this is a a player's team, a player's school. You know, put him in a position to do something for their families and things that perhaps others have not been able to do. And and you played here with I, I did a little research, uh, close to twenty players during your time, and unlike life. Uh, the players here has had a better percentage than they do in everyday work. But half of them have basically become or have earned at least a million dollars and many more and some, and half have not. Um, when, you, when, you look at, when you look back at it, how has that shaped your future, being one of them that, you know, you just weren't fortunate enough because of injuries, be one of that ten. But then the other ten have all – certainly uh, enjoyed and learned how to be productive in their own ways. It's crazy thinking about it, man. It's like, um, you know, when you think back to it, it's like you were in a dorm with, you know, your teammates. And, you know, I remember times when we were struggling to to pay for, you know, out to eat or struggling to go buy a pair of shoes at the mall, or, you know, having to call home sometimes to get money. And a year later, your teammates are millionaires. And several years after that, 
and then your teammates are coming across his headlines as signing four or five year max deals for two hundred million dollars. And so you know, I'm like I see that and I'm happy for them. Um man, everybody has their own story and then you and then it's great to see or know where these guys come from. And the, I think the the best thing about that is each one of those guys that I play with, I keep in contact with, and none of them have let the money change them. You know, especially Anthony. We still talk um, whenever I want to visit. I'm open. He's open to letting me allow me to come. You know, Terrence. I think I just was just texting Terrence the other day. He had a birthday. You know, Michael, uh, Deron. Me and Deron has gotten me and Deron Lamb has gotten even closer since we left school, and uh, it's just amazing that those guys. You know, none of them changed. Cal Wiltshire's in my book. Um, he's doing, you know, having a kind of amazing career overseas. And then you have the guys who, you know, weren't fortunate to to, to take that path. You know, we're all close. It's like two different groups. Uh, you know, the Sam Malone's, the John Hood, Jared Poston, you know, Todd Lanners, um, you know, Brian, Brian Long. We all are close. Eloy Vargas, like we all are close. And uh, it's, it's kind of like how practice was. You know, we were the second team. And we pushed, you know, the first team every single day. But our second team, we have a bond that I think would never be broken because we consider the second team. And, uh, like, see, we all group text and we talk and we talk U.K. basketball all the time. We talk about our teammates. Um, you know, you see some headline might come across and we all text each other, hey, you see, uh, you know, Michael, you see Anthony. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a nice dynamic. You ever at any point in time these last five years – have a sit down and just sort of close your eyes and thinking, where would I be if I had never played the game of basketball? Oh man, what a question! Um, I get asked that a lot when I when I go out and speak, and uh, it's hard to think about because you know education wasn't pushed um, to me growing up. You know, everybody I talk about this in my book. Everybody that I was ever knew, everybody that I was ever around. You know, wanted me to be successful playing basketball, and so if I if I wasn't blessed with the abilities, you know, to be a good athlete, I have no idea where I would be in life. And but but I think it goes back to your point of you know God blessing me with the ability and having a, a certain plan for me. Um, and when I look back on you know kids that I grew up with and you know what they're doing now, some of the paths that they've taken, you know, that could have easily have been me had it. I'm not being blessed, you know, with the ability to, to, to be good in basketball. Money alone does not give a person a blessed life. No. Or success. No, sir. Uh, you, you've got to look at the fact that you have on the road, you are a success, and you're going to be happy because of what you've gone through. Yes, and I had to learn that over time um, because, you know, growing up and all you see is the successful people being NBA players. That's, so that's what you're – your mind's conditioned to think. And so when I did make it, yes, it was a big letdown. Uh, when I got hurt my senior year, yes, I had a big letdown. I you know, went through depression. I, I stressed. Um, I didn't like, I didn't know what my life was going to be like after graduating from Kentucky. And um, now being that I've worked through a lot of those issues, I've, I'm on a path that, that I really enjoy. I, I wake up every day with a smile on my face. I enjoy who I am. I love who I am. Um, I don't have, like I say, the all the money that some guys, other guys have. But, you know, I, I provide a life for myself. I help my family out, and that's all you can ask for. Tell me a little bit about your two books that you've read. So my first book um, was I started writing um, my senior year at Kentucky 
during the process of recovering from back surgery. Um, I had dinner with a family in Lexington that, that was intr- instrumental in, in my life as a kid. Um, and uh, my friend's dad had told me to start writing down, you know, your thoughts on what you're going through. Cause he had, he could look at me and tell that I wasn't in, you know, the best shape mentally. And so um, he had suggested me just to start writing my thoughts down. And so I started to do that and not knowing that it was going to be a book. And once I got um, in the, the habit of writing and I got in the process of, of enjoying just putting my thoughts on paper, I was like, man, I can I can really, you know, turn this into something. I could turn, you know, my story into inspiration and, and motivating and helping other people, you know, overcome their adversity. And so my first book was simply about, um, you know, how I grew up, my childhood, some things that I went through, the the whole process from going to, from Ballard to New Hampton Prep, my days in Mississippi State. But the, the meat and potatoes was about the time that I had at the University of Kentucky. I talk about the relationships that some of my teammates had. Um, I speak about the relationship that I had with Anthony. And uh, it's this awesome book, man. And then uh, my second book is about pressure. Um, it's about um, all the pressure that we face in life, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what color your skin is, no matter how much money you have, we all have pressures and we all attack and face those pressures in different ways. And so that my so my second book is about, and you know, I talk about the pressures that I had, you know, growing up, you know, the pressure that that it that I had to succeed. Um and a neat thing about this book is you not only hear my voice, you hear the voice of a lot of other people. I got 12 different chapters, I think 13 different chapters. And in each chapter, somebody else is speaking. And um, to giving you an example, you know, I, I didn't know my dad growing up. You know, I didn't meet my dad until I, I got out of high school. And so, you know, there was pressure in itself having a single mother uh, with three three young kids uh, trying to survive. You know, that was pressure in itself. So as I've gotten older and more mature, I now had a conversation with my father of, you know, why didn't you, um, you know, help my mom when you when you had had me? Why did you, you know, leave my mom astray and and put all the pressure on my mom to raise, you know, raise me? And um, you know, my dad has a completely different outlook on why he did that. And so, in this book, um, you get the the opportunity to hear my dad's per, uh, perspective and his point of view. And so, I know there are a lot of kids or a lot of people, even adults out there, who struggle um with you know forgiving and uh probably hold some type of grudge against their parents and um you know i was able to you know kind of reconcile the relationship with my father and so it's the the book is and hopefully i can help somebody else you know reconcile their relationship with a friend or family member their, their parent or anybody else like that and there's a lot of kind of situations and chapters in the book that, like that you seem to be a person that's very happy when you're sharing. Yes, yes. I'm a different person. Um, my friends tell me all the time, you know, I'm, a, I'm really mellow. I'm really chill. Um, I like to relax. And um, I'm, I'm fiery inside because I'm really competitive. But when I get on stage or I get in front of individuals, I turn into a completely different person. Like, because I'm, I'm real mellow. I, um, I'm just a real smooth guy. But when I get on stage and I get in front of people, I turn into a completely different person. You ever blame God? with your setbacks injury wise no no um and <laughs> no I, I don't and it's a that's a great question because i, I mean people ask I, that. Now, I now appreciate what god did for me because you know i was tw- 25 24 25 and 
I was able to discover my purpose that young. You know, a lot of outside of basketball, a lot of people struggle every day with what am I going to do with my life? What does my life look like? How can I be beneficial to society? How can I be the best person I can be? And at 24, 25, you know, I was able to be putting into that pressure. And at like 26, 27, I figured it out. Man. And we, and we know a lot of ex-players who have not been able to come to grips. Yes. With that. And so if I had an extended basketball career, um, let's say playing the, playing basketball overseas and I wasn't done playing until my mid-30s, and then now I'm, I'm mid-30, no work experience, and then I got to come back home and then I got to figure out what I'm going to do for the for 40 to 50 more years of my life. And so I'm kinda, I kind of thank God to, for, to giving me that ability to figure that out at such a young age because I watch a lot of people and I read a lot and I see the athletes who struggle um, with coming with um, coming out of their careers and trying to figure out what they're going to do next, and so I, I like to be that voice, that advocate um, for people, especially athletes um, that are done playing. And, and uh, I've helped, you know, one of my friends, close friends, uh, by the name of Tory Gurley. Um, he played in the NFL, bounced around some practice squads. He played at um, South Carolina. Uh, we were roommates in prep school. We both had goals and dreams of playing in the SEC, which is kind of crazy. When when he signed in South Carolina. And I signed in Mississippi State. You know, we put a picture on our door, like we made it, and both had our uh, SEC logos because yeah. that was our dream. When I first met him, his dream was to play right. in the SEC. My dream was to play in the SEC, uh, Kentucky, but my dream was to play in the SEC. And then we, when we both signed our uh, letter of intents, you know, we um, put a piece, piece of paper on our door and like the, his uh, Gamecock and then you know Mississippi State's logo, like when we made it. <laughs> and so he played, uh, you know, had a good career in, in South Carolina. Went on to the NFL, bounced around a couple for a couple of years on practice squads, and then when he was done playing, he struggled. You know, we talked all the time. You know, he always had, he would call me every night. Hey, man, how do how did you get into speaking? How did you, you know, get a good job? Or how did you do this? How did you do that? And I talked to him every single night about, man, listen, you cannot feel sorry for yourself. You got to get up. You got to put yourself out there. You know, you got to let people know what you want to do, who you are. I mean, football's over. You can't you can't continue to live on that. And then now he's um, in L.A working for Info Network. One of the things I always do on these podcasts is I like to ask the guest to give me his thoughts about some of the people that he's played with or been around. And I found out from listeners that uh, this is the one thing they look forward to. Uh, what you think about your former teammates. So let's just run through a list of these guys. Just give me a line or two or, or something funny or how you remember them or, or what they were like. And uh, let, let's start out with uh, some of the guys at the end. Um, Archie Goodwin. Misunderstood. Archie was misunderstood because, um, you know, a lot of people thought that Archie was selfish. And Archie wasn't selfish at all. Archie was put into a, um, a pressure situation that, that he wasn't used to, and I'm sure he didn't expect. You know, we had a point guard go down a year, um, and Archie wasn't a point guard. Archie had to, you know, be thrust into that role, and it wasn't his. It wasn't what he was naturally good at, and so a lot of people thought Archie was selfish. But Archie was a scorer, but Archie was just a guy that I think was misunderstood. Alex Portress. Alex Portress, uh <laughs> one of the strongest, toughest, smoothest guys I ever played with. Um, I think Alex Portress had a lot of fire in his belly, and it just took a lot of Coach Cowan to pull it out. But great guy, I love Alex. Nerlens Noel. I would like to say he's one of the best shot blockers I play I ever played with. 
Um, his timing was unbelievable, but I played with uh, Jarvis Bernardo at Mississippi State. Yeah, I think he holds the record for Rock. He holds the record, and then Anthony Davis, and then Nerlens. So I, I played some Nerlens goals in that list of, um, you know, three of the best shot blockers I ever played with. Willie Colley Stein. Willie Colley Stein. <laughs> Man, the first time I ever seen Willie, uh, I showed up on campus that year, and Willie was skateboarding with skateboard shoes. And uh, me and Willie were the first two players to, to be in the gym that summer because we were the first people on campus. And I remember Willie's first shot was an air ball from the three-point line. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, like, where did Coach Kyle get this guy? <laughs> and uh, to see where Willie's at now, to see him performing like he's performing in the NBA just shows, man, you know, not only the testament to Coach, how Coach Kyle developed players, but just the testament to how hard Willie worked to get to where he's at. Sam Malone. Sam Malone is my guy. Uh, you know, I'm going to I'll be in Boston next month, so me and Sam is going to get together and have dinner. But Sam is much like myself, and he's uh, I think he's just he's in the business now. I'm in the business, but Sam was just a guy that uh, very fun personality, was funny, and uh, probably one of the best teammates I ever had. Todd Lanter. Todd Lanter. Todd. Uh, <laughs> Todd was a funny. He's, he's a fun, funny guy, man. Uh, you know, Todd came to Kentucky. You know, he was kind of. Uh, you know, unsure about what his role was going to be. Um, and, you know, Ty used to we, – we have a joke all the time that, that, that Ty used to get into practice and, and make some of the dumbest plays that you can make. But, you know, he was just trying to, to, to fit in. And, uh, you know, me and Ty are close. We talk all the time. But Ty's a great guy. John Hood. John Hood. John Hood, uh, great teammate. Um, you know, John kind of went through adversity like myself. He tore his ACL and had to miss an entire – I think John missed the year we won a championship. He was hurt. And uh, he was with us the entire time. Great teammate. You know, we like I said, we still talk to this day. He was a part. He's a part of that that uh, that second unit. Ryan Harrell. Ryan Harrell, one of the best ball handlers I ever played with and seen in my life. Um, I think Ryan Harrell, much like Archie, was kind of misunderstood too. Um, you know, a lot of players are different. It takes um, a lot of players different different ways to get going. And you know, Ryan was just different in his own way. Um, but Ryan, I think, much like Archie, was just misunderstood. Eloy Vargas. Eloy Vargas. Uh, Eloy. Eloy was a funny teammate. Um, you know, Eloy is one of those type of people that, you know, you, you go down to his dorm. He's in there just being himself. He was funny. Um, I'm happy for Eloy as well because I know he's extended his basketball career. He's playing overseas. So I see a lot of stuff that he's doing on social media. Great teammate. Brian Long. Brian Long. Brian Long was a part of that, was a part of that second unit. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that didn't say much, but you could just look, look at Brian and laugh because he was funny. <laughs> And uh, Brian came up with the infamous bank miss. So we had a little joke as a second team. Whenever our teammates or the other opposing team would shoot a shot and hit the backboard and no rim, you know, we would all look at each other on the bench and say bank miss, and Brian started that. Jared Poston. Jared Poston. Um, interesting guy, man. Jared kind of gave me motivation um, to, to, to understand and know that I was good enough to play at Kentucky. You know, I watched Jared. I think I was at uh, Mississippi State at the time. Jared you know, actually getting into games and playing. And he was from Kentucky, so I think he paved the way for, for kids, him and John Hood, for kids from here to believe that we can play there and for Coach Cal. If you were I, what would you say about Twani Beckham? If I were what? If you were I. Oh, if I were you. <laughs> uh, Twani was a guy that uh, I wish the 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 UK BBN could have saw him play more. I think he had a lot of talent and a lot of ability that he could have brought to the floor. Um, and I just wish that, you know, Andrews didn't kind of have so many setbacks in his life. Um, and Twani was a guy that 
I think if you looked at him, if you got an opportunity to saw him play, that he could have with with no injuries, he could have been a pro because with the ability that he had to be a six five point guard and pass the ball, one of the best teammates that anybody could ask for, cares about everybody, treats everybody the same, um, student of the game, student about student to life, really cares about every person that he comes in contact with. Um, if you come in contact with Twani, you will leave inspired. You will leave, you will leave motivated. Um, you will leave believing that you could be anybody in the world that you can be because Twani has overcome so much, and Twani lives every single day to let people know that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you can overcome any set of adversities. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you can dream to do something. You can dream to be somebody and live every day like that. Kyle Welcher. Kyle Witcher, uh unbelievable teammate. He was my roommate, um, you know, when I first got to Kentucky. And, uh, you know, he's from Portland, from Oregon. And he was just – he was kind of funny. Kyle was – you know, I don't know if you saw the videos that he used to make. He was very artistic, and he just loved to do different things, uh, especially with technology and social media. Um, you know, Kyle was an interesting one. Uh, interviewing him for my book was was unbelievable because I got to know Kyle in a different way that – that, I don't think a lot of UK supporters understood. Um, Cal went through a lot of pressure because he was a part of that class that came in, but he didn't get the opportunity to play as much as those guys. And as he mentioned in my book, um, him being one of those guys that that came in with Davis and Gilchrist and watching those guys get drafted and sign these, you know, large deals. And then he, I think he mentioned that, you know, he was in college and struggling, you know, had family back at home that he wanted to help and stuff like that. And he had to come back to school. They had to transfer it and go play two more years. And it just took a toll on him. It was a lot of pressure on him. And that, But he appreciates the journey that he was on. What went through your mind during that period when he was making his decision to transfer? Um, you know, because my senior year was Cal's sophomore year. And it was a tough year. You know, Cal was a sophomore, you know, Coach, you know, when you're a sophomore in the UK, you get it. I leader. think uh, I think he had a three, maybe to win the NIT game at the end at Robert Morris. Yes, that yes. didn't go. In. It had that gone in. Do you think it would have been different or not? <laughs> no, I think uh, Coach um, Cal Witcher was probably going to leave anyway. Um, you know, he was just built to to play and be somewhere else. Um, and I think Cal said, you know, one of his best decisions was transferring and going to Gonzaga. And uh, like I said, I love Kyle, and Kyle was from probably one of the best teammates anybody can ask for. And I think sometimes, you know, Kentucky just isn't the place for everybody. And he was able – luckily, he was able to figure that out and go on to have a good career at Gonzaga. Darius Miller. Darius Miller. That's my brother. Um, I love Darius. I've been knowing Darius since I was a kid. You know, we used to play against each other in uh, AAU basketball. Um, I played against him in high school when he was in Mason County. Uh, Darius is, you know – we, we're really close. And uh, we, when I got to Kentucky, he was one of the first people that kind of put their arms around me and was like, hey, man, I got you. I'm, I love that, you, you know, that you're here. And, um, you know, still to this day, you know, Darius' family, my family, when we see each other, it's, it's everything's all love. And uh, I'm just so happy for Darius getting the opportunity to, to play in the NBA. You don't understand. People probably doubted him his entire career. And Darius just goes about his business on a daily basis, just like he's still an underdog. Marquise Teague. Marquise Teague. Marquise Teague, um, much, kind of much like Archie, um, was very misunderstood. Marcus was, I thought, definitely an NBA player. He had a lot of ability that um, I don't think he got to show at Kentucky because of how Coach Cal needed him to play that year. 
you know, Coach Cal didn't need or we didn't need Marcus to to be what he was in high school for in order us in order for us to win a championship. So he had kind of put the reins around him a little bit, wanted him to run the show, get the ball where guys needed to to get the ball. And uh so I respect Marcus so much because I think he sacrificed the most out of anybody. You know, Marcus could have easy, you know, scored between 15 and 20 points a game with his natural ability. But uh, Marcus had the, was, I think, the one that took the most step back. And, uh, and I think it allowed our team to propel. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Brandon Knight, one of the hardest workers, it was, it's, it's a toss-up between him and Michael. And I hate it. Well, I loved it, but I hated um, the days that I had to match up with Michael in practice <laughs> because it wasn't on off days with Michael. There's every single drill, every single possession, Michael was coming at you, and he was coming at you fiercely, aggressive, and there was no days off. So, I mean, sometimes that I was hoping that I was going to guard the point guard, but when sometimes Coach Cal wanted me over on Michael, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a long day because Michael went after every loose ball, every rebound. I mean, he worked hard. I mean, Michael was just the ultimate teammate. He doesn't he didn't care what it took to win. Michael did whatever it took. Deron Lamb. Deron Lamb, the funniest teammate I think uh <laughs> I've ever had. I think a lot of other people would uh attest to that. Deron was a guy that you just never knew when he was serious, you never knew when he was joking. I mean he joked twenty four seven. But, you know, he he loved the game of basketball and he was just his natural ability showed itself and uh like he led us in scoring that year. That has to say a lot about Deron. And um, just had a big championship game 23, 24 points in the championship game. And uh, like I said, Deron was special. And uh, I always loved Deron. I mean, that championship game was over with six minutes to go in the first time. Yes. Yes. We controlled the game from the, from the tip. And they made a late run. Uh, late. They made a run late. And then, you know, Michael making a play at the end that nobody else in the country could have made. The getting beat back door and then making a block on the opposite side of the rim. Nobody else in the country makes that play. Nobody else in the country. Terrence Jones. Terrence Jones. Love Terrence. Uh, like I just texted him. I loved him uh, the other day when on his birthday. But Terrence was a, was a monster. Uh, he could do everything. You know, 6'9", beast, dribble, shoot it, uh, handle it, have finesse. Um, you know, I wish that, you know, Terrence can work himself back in the NBA because I know it's what he's working towards doing right now. Nobody left but Anthony Davis. <laughs> Anthony Davis, man, I, oh man, it's probably you know I like to consider us really very very close. Um, you know, I was just in LA with him this summer, and we spent some time just sitting around his house and, um, you know, just talking about UK, talking about life where he's where he's gone from now. But Anthony's um, the best player I've ever played with, um, best teammate I ever had. Didn't care about scoring, didn't care about his stats. Did whatever it took for Kentucky that year to win the national championship, and I think not only myself but everybody that was on that team that year, you know, would appreciate what Anthony did for us. And I'm just so happy to see that you know he's in MVP discussions in the NBA because when he first got to campus, I remember um, you know Rajon Rondo being in town. You know, me and Rajon Rondo are really close. Uh, we grew up in Louisville together, and uh, Rajon Rondo was in town and. Anthony was just so shy. I'm like, hey, man, uh, you want to go hang out with Rondo and you know, catch a bite to eat or something like that? And he was like, you think Rondo allowed me to be around? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Anthony, I'm sure he doesn't care, man. And, um, you know, we went around Rajan, and Anthony didn't say a word. He was just quiet the whole time. And he was asking 
Rajon questions about what the NBA was like, and it, I thought that was so cool. And then they became teammates, and now Anthony's one of the best players in the NBA. I, I, I'm a big fan of of the Pelicans. Yes, and any of the other places that has Kentucky players. But gosh, watching Rondo and uh, Anthony Davis and Darius Miller and um, Cousins. You know, all at the same, all at the same time. time. I mean, yeah. and and, at, and right there in New Orleans, where most of them had their biggest moments to start with. I mean, it was you know. Yes, I, I think I think you missed him a couple of times today, but I think one of the most misunderstood players ever here was Rajon Rondo. Rajon, yes, yes. I mean, he he's just such a competitor. Such, such a competitor. I mean, he doesn't. I've been doing Rajon since, man, I go back to my middle school days. And, you know, we used to play one-on-one. We used to work out together. And, uh, you know, I remember, you know, going to watch him play in high school when I was in eighth grade. And I'm like, man, this dude is unbelievable. And, um, you know, he's had his issues uh, on and off the court. And I think he's just misunderstood because all Rajon Rondo wants to do is win. That's all he wants to do is win. He would do whatever it takes to win. And uh, sometimes I've sit and asked him, like I think I was, I saw him this summer in LA, and I'm like, why are you so competitive? And you know, he just wants to win. He will, he wants to beat you in checkers. He wants to beat you in. Um, I think he loves ping pong, uh, pool, whatever, it, whatever it is. He's trying to beat you. And it's funny when you see his son. Uh, his son was in Anthony Davis camp this past summer, and uh, his son was just you could get an attitude when he misses shots and stuff like that. And I called Rajon. And I said, man, your son is just like you. And he said, man, I don't teach him to be that way, just how he is. And he said, uh, his son, after every game that his son attends, and they ride home in the car, his son knows his stats, knows how many rebounds, how many points he had. His son is just like him, which is crazy. Are we far enough along in time to where you're perhaps already looking forward to the 10th year reunion of the 12 team? No, we haven't uh, We haven't spoke on it yet. Um, you know, I've mentioned it to some of my teammates, but we need we got to get together. We got to do a trip. And, um, you know, we haven't spoke. I'm looking forward to the 10-year reunion uh, and just to kind of see where everybody's at and our mentality, kind of go back on some of the memories. But if it was up to me, we would meet, get up to, uh, together before that, you know, some type of summer trip every year or something like that. Now, I may be the person to organize that. <laughs> uh, tell me your relationship with Cal. What, what do you think of Cal? Then, before, during, and now after. I love Coach Cal, man. Like when you ask me that question, I just I smile because, you know, somebody like him that's always busy that um, has such a high demand for of his time, you know, has never closed his door on me. Um, you know, he wrote the forward to my first book. Um, you know, he has my second book. Um, you know, he was very instrumental in uh, helping me. Um, you know, uh, land my first big job. Um, and, you know, he was somebody – he's somebody I can always call on and say, hey, coach, can you, can you help me with this? I need help with this. And he's never once said no. Um, you know, when I have a commercial on the news or anything, he retweets my stuff. Um, and so Coach Cal was the person – is the person that gave me the opportunity to put the Kentucky jersey across my chest. And so I don't care what Coach Cal does. Like, he is – I'm going to live and die with Coach Cal. There will be a – point in time a day when he will be finished coaching yes sir kentucky basketball what do you think is his next stage in life is after coaching a lot of people always ask me do i think he'll coach in the nba i don't think so 
Um, I think once Coach Cal's done, I think Coach Cal's going to sit back and he's going to enjoy everything he's been able to do because, uh, you know, he puts a lot of time into a lot to the team that a lot of people don't see. I mean, we as a team spend so much time. I mean, we talk, we have meetings um, outside of practice. I mean, we we stay at Coach Cal's house all the time. Um, he takes us out to eat. I mean, we do a lot of fellowship together. And I think when Coach Cal's done coaching, he's going to be able to enjoy the career that he's had and not look back on anything or wish he had done anything better. Have you watched many of the games this year? And what yes, does I this don't. team look like? Watching UK is a, is a holiday every single day, every single week, whenever they're playing where they're at. It doesn't matter. Um, my days, life consists around UK basketball. And uh, <laughs> What do you think about March Madness this year? March Madness is wide open. Um, even though Duke is as good as they are, um, Michigan is as good as they are, I think that it's wide open. I think that this is one of those years to where it would be like uh, the 2010 team with Brandon Knight and T. Jones when they were freshmen that, you know, UK can easily turn the corner and be one of those teams that be right there in the end. And I think this year's field is completely wide open. A new addition this year for first time in a while is a native Kentuckian being added to the club. Your thoughts on Kentucky players on the Kentucky team? I think it gives not only um, a person like me joy to, to see, but it gives inspiration to so many kids in Kentucky because, as you know, that's our dream is to put that Kentucky jersey across your chest. And for a while there, you know, um, it was a dream that we didn't see. Um, you know, Derek Anderson was kind of older which was the first person I knew from Kentucky that put the jersey on, which I looked up to and knew him personally. Then when Rajon got the opportunity, I'm like, okay, this is somebody that I know. This is somebody that I personally know that I'm watching on TV every single day play for Kentucky. And so when you see other Kentucky players, it just gives a sense of, of hope that, man, you can be there no matter who the coach is, no matter what players they're bringing in. If you're good enough, you will have the opportunity. Final thoughts. The night you play your last home game. Senior night. Senior night. It just brought everything into full circle. Um, when I walked out, I kind of lost myself into the crowd. I lost myself in the moment. You know, I kissed the floor. Um, I wish that I could have played, um, you know, my last game. I think we beat Florida. Um, Julius Mays was with who really, really close. Um, you know, he, he had a huge game that game. And, uh, you know, everything that I've ever been through, everything, every all the hard work, all the sacrifice, all the setbacks, you know, all the the struggles, the where I come from, you know, chasing dreams, the the relationships, um, all came full circle when I kissed that floor at UK and to to stand up and see appreciation for you being a senior at Kentucky with the supporters was amazing. And um I think I besides winning the national championship and writing two books you know, I'll, I will put that that moment in my life, one to one at the top. Any lasting thoughts toward the Kentucky fans? Um, I just want to say, uh, you know, as a person that dreamed to play at Kentucky, you know, a person that's a huge supporter of the program, you know, I want the supporters to know that we as players appreciate you probably far more than you, than you think are. Um, you know, when when we out in public. You know, every picture, every autograph, it means a lot because, especially to me, because it could easily be somebody else. You know, so I used to tell, you know, some of my other teammates who didn't quite like it so much, I'm like, man, it could be somebody else. 
Um, you know, every picture that you take, every autograph that you sign, you're making somebody's life, and I don't think you understand that. You know, when I was a little kid, I would have did whatever I could to get an autograph from Wayne Turner or, um, you know, uh, Antoine Walker or Jamal Mashburn. You know, any of those guys that played at Kentucky when I was a little kid, I would have did anything to get a picture or to, to get an autograph. So to the supporters and to everybody, everybody that supports the program, you know, Kentucky basketball is – is one that you know I love dearly and that we as players appreciate because we get to come and play in front of 24,000 people every single night no matter who we play in and I think it's something that we would never take for granted. Thanks to Twani Beckham for being a part of this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. If you would like to read Twani's books that he mentioned in this episode, Pressure and Full Court Press, you can order those from his website, twannybeckham.com, or on Amazon. To follow Twani on Twitter, he's at twannybeckham11. All episodes of Conversations can be found at oscarcombs.com, or they can be automatically downloaded to your mobile device for absolutely free. Search for at Wildcat News in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and subscribe. Don't forget the old man on Twitter, he's at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.